it's funny, it took a while, again, for me to believe in myself when I had people actually writing me checks for my ideas and for my creative work, thinking, are, are you sure that, are you, is this, I mean, I, I understand if you have questions, because I do, so just watching it turn into yes. a thriving business that, yeah, everyone who has believed in me has helped me believe in myself more, so that has been humbling. Hello and welcome back to Sustaining Craft Season 2. This is Elizabeth Silverstein and this season I'll be interviewing even more people with creative careers, hearing their journeys and advice for others. Today I have with me a Catherine LeMaster of Catherine J. LeMaster Art and Design. Hey Catherine, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Elizabeth? I'm doing very well. What do you do? I do interior design and also crossed over into production design several years back, kind of in the beginning of um, about a year after I'd had my company and it was just one of those things that just happened organically and uh, was excited about that as well as um, I'd always been interested in film back in college. I'd had a professor that, um, one of my interior design professors who actually had us do a set design project and it just kind of opened that door in my mind of, oh, that would be a fun segue into that uh, with interior design and so it was really neat how um, that became a part of my company after the fact and um, but primarily do residential design decorating remodels all of that and then we'll probably end up doing about four to five productions a year just depending on what becomes available so yeah it's really mm-hmm. fun cool well let's rewind a little bit okay are you from Arkansas originally from Dallas Texas but um, moved to Arkansas when I was really young so have been here most of my life and um, yeah love it Arkansas is such a beautiful state so yeah. so honored to live here and so I don't know much about interior design. Okay. It's something I, I've kind of understand that it's how you play something in a room or mm-hmm. maybe the colors, all of mm-hmm. that. How did you get into it? So initially, going way back, growing up, my dad had a construction background, which is not actually what he ended up doing for his career, but he's very gifted in that realm and educated in that realm. And so he ended up building our childhood home. Um, on some land that we got when I was around seven years old. And it was a whole process of living on the land in a actual mobile home while we built the barn so that we had enough storage space for all the materials and extra stuff that wouldn't fit in the mobile home. Uh, and then a couple of years later, started building the house that uh, ended up taking several years to build since it was kind of a side project. Mm-hmm. Evenings, weekends, it was a whole family project. And so kind of felt like I grew up on a construction site. I was in my early teens by the time we actually finished and moved in. Um, so I loved so much of that process of building our house and getting to be so involved in that process of everything from, I mean, laying hardwood flooring to staining and sanding and polyurethane hanging doors and um, helping my mom pick out wallpaper and paint colors. And just kind of that was such a big part of my childhood that when I was approaching college age and thinking about what I might want to do for a career, I didn't have anything completely made up in my mind other than that I didn't want to do what everyone else was doing. Mm-hmm. And my friends that were a little older than me had chosen, you know, respectable careers in nursing and education and, <laughs> you know, all sorts of just doctors and lawyers and the traditional jobs in my mind mm-hmm. that I thought of. And I just knew I didn't want to do anything that I had thought of. I wanted to find something new and different and interesting. And I had considered music because I loved piano. I'd taken piano for 10 years uh, of my life and considered that, but wanted to keep that more as a passion and was afraid that if I pursued that for a career, it would become a demand and might lose the magic there with um, assignments and things that I had to do. So was looking through the list of degree programs at UCA. I had decided um, since I wasn't super made up about where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do that that seemed like a reasonable distance from home, about 30 minutes north in Conway. And was, sorry, what is UCA? Oh, sorry, University of Central Arkansas. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And uh, yeah, I was looking through the list of degree programs and interior design was on there. And this was back before the day and age of Pinterest and HGTV being such a big deal. There was not an awareness for the field that there is today. So I had just, that struck my interest. I thought, ah, I, you know, I guess I thought that was a hobby. I didn't really understand that was a real job. And um, how interesting. That sounds fun. I'm not even sure I know exactly what it is, but it sounds like 
more than a decorator and less than an architect, <laughs> I'd like to try that and see how closely related it is to the parts I enjoyed of the construction process of building my parents' house. And so I um, took an intro to interior design class and some of the other beginner level ones with the um, gen ed classes that first semester up there and just fell in love with it. And it was about exactly what I was hoping it would be of you know, kind of that sweet spot in between decorator and the technical aspect of an architect of getting to be involved in the construction process and technical drawings and all of that, but also the the cherry on top, the layers of all the colors and soft furnishings and everything really combined, just the symphony of creativity and a little bit of that technical aspect as well. So I get to work with a lot of architects and take things all the way from that space planning conceptual part of a new project or a remodel and I'll actually do the new layouts and space plans and AutoCAD and draft all of that. Um, but then also pick out everything from new furnishings to light fixtures and plumbing fixtures and flooring and, you know, every finish option and fixture option you can think of and get to even incorporate what I love is when clients have existing pieces that they want to use. If it's a family heirloom or something that they have that they hope to repurpose and get to think creatively of how we can honor those pieces or recreate them if they need a, a finish update or reupholstery or something. And so, yeah, it's kind of the whole beginning to end of really coming in and taking someone's home or if it's where they work or whatever that space is uh, and turning that into something that really serves their needs functionally, but then also reflects who they are aesthetically, that it's going to be, you know, a happy, peaceful place for them to live and work from. So... And I have to touch on a part of your story because this is maybe more personal interest mm-hmm. to me. But you grew up with seven brothers and sisters. Yes. <laughs> so you guys were living in a mobile home. Yeah. So it's real funny. It's funny you ask <laughs> how, how we did that. The math doesn't quite add up. <laughs> well, and I did want to bring up because this is something we have in common, which is yeah. unusual. I have seven brothers and sisters. So I love you that. mentioned that, I was like, okay. So but many. <laughs> we had a home. We had a right. house. A whole home. We huh? only had one bathroom, though. And yeah. that was challenging. That was a struggle. So I want to hear more about living in a mobile yeah. home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I look back and I'm like, how did we do it? But at the time, I think when you're young and you're shorter and kind of like living in a dollhouse, everything mm-hmm. seemed like enough room then. I uh, It still was on the property for several years following. And I remember walking in, <laughs> grown up, thinking, oh, my goodness, this is like a dollhouse. How did we fit in here? <laughs> but when we moved out there, there were just four kids. So my parents actually took the smaller bedroom and gave the kids the master bedroom, and we had two sets of bunk beds, Mm -hmm. and it was tight, but it worked. But during the years that we lived out on the land, you know, building the other structures and, you know, prepping the the ground to build the house, by the time we moved in, I think the eighth, I think my youngest brother had just been born or was just about to be born. We were right on the cusp of the seven, eight kids by the time we finally moved in. (laughs) So yeah, it ended up being three sets of bunk beds in there, a custom built toddler bunk bed set that my dad had built fit right in the corner. My piano also had to fit in our room. (laughs) A keyboard. We all shared one dresser, one closet. And once we had the boys came along, my little brothers, they had a, um, tiny dresser that fit in in the, the kids bathroom right off that don't bedroom need as many they don't need as many things so it sounds <laughs> impossible but it ended up working out the um the nursery the baby crib actually was kind of in this office corner of the living room and okay. so it was closer to my parents bedroom down that way so it, it worked just barely I mean we were at max capacity <laughs> by the time we moved and it wouldn't have worked if we weren't all small children at the there time so yeah uh good memories though cozy but uh, it's like you don't know what you don't know until you look back and go, wow, that yeah. was that was some creative space planning in that yeah. situation as well. So, And that's information I'm sure you, you brought into your career as well, is how do you optimize space? Mm-hmm. How do you fit people? How do you... Yes. So what I really loved about your what you mentioned on your website is that you're not just... So you're picking out all these things and these colors mm-hmm. and finishings, but mm-hmm. you're also looking to tell a story. Yes, you're absolutely. You're staying true to a personality and a story. How do you mm-hmm. do that with your work? It is so case by case because of each client being so unique and really wanting to tailor the whole experience to them. So it's a blend of using principles that are tried and true across design, just like math, something that, you know, you're going to have a better traffic path at 36 inches wide or your countertops are going to feel more comfortable if they're 36 inches off the ground. And, you know, you have those Mm -hmm. spatial guidelines that um, you carry into each project, but then you still adjust that to suit. We start really with the function of how does this space need to work? What is not working here? If it's an existing space, um, I do a lot of remodeling and redecorating. And so usually 
by the time the client contacts me, it's a, you know, we've lived this way for this many years and I just can't stub my toe one more time or I just can't keep tripping over so-and-so when we're two people in here trying to cook in a one-person kitchen, you know, what can we do? So you really have to um, break apart and kind of deconstruct the space first mm-hmm. as you're planning that out of what's not working. And then I usually start with dropping the measurements into AutoCAD and taking away everything that's already there, existing furniture, cabinetry, anything built into where I'm looking at an empty box because it's hard for me to even look past, you know, oh, but there's this here and I don't, we don't want to block the view here. And we've got, you know, when I'm standing in the space, it's not always a, people I think have a misconception that I'll walk in and I'll know what to do. I'll mm-hmm. see it and I'll just be inspired. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always work that way. Um, it is a lot of planning. I have to kind of take away what's already there to really open up new possibilities of how it might work better, how we could optimize that um, for the needs that they've expressed. And I have a process for that when I'm um, getting to know clients and bringing them on where they fill out a real detailed questionnaire that they can go into more depth about how they hope to use the space and their goals for it. So really, it's there's a, a quote, and I'll have to go back through and think of who actually said it, but about how form follows function that was a um, from a furniture designer. And it really is true. We look at the function first and then build the form around that in the form of the space plan and then even breaking that down further of the shape of the furniture or the height of the furniture, the width or the depth to accommodate the user. And that's all different. I have, you know, short clients and tall clients and young clients and old clients and you that all changes of what they need and what's comfortable for them. Budget is a huge factor that plays in because then that narrows the field even more of are we shopping within this much or this much? Um, so there's so many elements that come into play when you're making those decisions, just even getting started from that functional realistic standpoint. Once you get that groundwork laid, then you can have a little more fun moving into um, personalizing it with their story and their favorite colors or things that will continue to optimize the space when it comes to paint colors and finishes and things like that that will help them reach that end result that they've shared, that they have this dream space in mind and will explore their inspiration photos and do further research to kind of make sure we really understand that that feel of what they're hoping to walk into mm-hmm. um, when it's all said and done so that we make sure we kind of have something to aim for and then create that really organically around them throughout that process. But that's where I always ask too in the beginning if there is anything of sentimental value. Um, a lot of times it's, it is family heirlooms or things that people have picked up on their travels or art their children made or something that's special that I feel like just so personalizes a space. I don't think it's ever wise to just have everything store-bought, just go, even if you could afford all the wonderful, just go out and buy everything brand new. I just think that your home will end up feeling like a showroom, like you walked into, you know, a furniture store and it might be lovely, but it's like the heart of the home that you sense. It's the unseen things. You create that by really making sure you're honoring the client, honoring that person who's going to live there in what you're putting together. So a lot of times that is existing pieces or original artwork or something really special and sentimental that might even serve as inspiration for the color scheme. I mean, we always talk about that in the beginning. I had one client several years ago that um, had this beautiful painting in this aged looking yellow frame. And it was a very yellow painting. It was just very yellow. I mean, that was just no other way the color scheme could go really once I looked at this and she was explaining the story of it and how she'd like to incorporate it somewhere if possible, but was open to wear. And uh, when I was researching fabrics and paints and things to go with it, I just kept coming back to that painting and thought this would just be the best focal point in her room. And it was the jumping off point for the whole scheme for that room. It was so fun. Um, and so everything kind of reflects back to and points to that painting. And I just love it because it always, you know, honors why she loved it so much. So, yeah, so that's some of the process of just it is it's very in-depth and it's very personal. And that's why I feel so honored when you know, people choose to work with me because they're letting me into their lives and homes. And I am usually in the closets digging under shoes to get measurements along the baseboard to make sure we're, you know, accounting for every square inch. And uh, so for them to trust me and welcome me in in that way and let me be a part of that personal process of crafting their home. It's so rewarding. I just I love it so much. So that brings up a good point that I think really connects to craft and storytelling Mm -hmm. is that you're a problem solver. Mm -hmm. So you're not cookie cutter, a one size fits Mm -hmm. all. You're looking at someone fresh. You have these elements that you go back to, but you're looking at everything individually and saying, all right, we're going to start here, but who are you as a person? Mm -hmm. What do you need? What do you love? What do you care about? It's very true. And that's why it's been hard to (laughs) document the process uh, when people have 
asked what I do or how I do what I do or when um, people have inquired about interning with me or training with me and that's been my biggest struggle is harnessing what what is what I do mm-hmm. it's, it's there are elements that I do every time but it is still I think I'm still learning that process because it does change with each client I go about it a little differently to suit the needs of that client so it's something I would have to study and watch and learn to yeah. actually be able to uh, to train someone even to mm-hmm. you just kind of yeah I think you adjust it as needed but go back to those core foundation elements that help you stay on course to deliver that end result that's gonna be what's best for them so mm-hmm. and you mentioned was it auto AutoCAD uh-huh. or, and, and what is that it's a drafting software most architect firms still use it there's a lot of 3d ones that are out now Revit, a free one is Google SketchUp. <laughs> Someday in all my spare time, <laughs> I will <laughs> have a, a fun project to learn a 3D software, but at the time, it wasn't required in the interior design program that I was in. It was just coming out, but it wasn't the standard. So for what I do now, it's been fine to use just um, 2D AutoCAD to do the drafting, and it's what I'm used to and most efficient at. And then if I have a need for um, any sort of 3D illustration, I typically will draft a rendering in Photoshop. We learned how to hand render and all of that in school, and it is fun and beautiful and artistic, and uh, I love art. That was initially why I left art in the name of my company, because of the graphite sketching and um, renderings and uh, some other artistic elements that I still hope someday to have a, a little shop where I could share prints of things, but it's a, it's a time thing at this point where I just have not have or made the time to continue with that but I do love that aspect of it um it just was so much more time involved to do these hand marker and pencil renderings and while they were beautiful what I learned at least with my clients is because things are likely to change after the first presentation Mm -hmm. whether that's just you go where the wind blows you and you're inspired by they they may see a painting out a local gallery that they're inspired by and want to incorporate things change even from the presentation along the way of construction or we might have to pivot once we get into a wall and realize you know there's going to be an issue there with plumbing or something that we couldn't foresee and we might have to adjust that I realized it wasn't always in the client's best interest budget wise to invest so much time in this beautiful artistic rendering if the point if I could communicate that efficiently up front through something that would save the time and money up front while we got going. Didn't want to use all of that up and then have it end up looking nothing like the original drawing. So that is more of a a fun thing that I do more as art, but I usually try to do a Photoshop rendering if it's going to be something that would help to have further Mm -hmm. elaboration on that concept beyond just the floor plan and then the elevations. And the elevations are 2D as well, so I could draw essentially just a, a whole wall to show cabinetry and placement and uh and usually 2d is enough and that's where i like to again looking from that efficiency standpoint let's only do what's needed to communicate to the client and aid them mm-hmm. without going so overboard that we have then invested more than they wanted to mm-hmm. if we need to leave this open for discussion anyway so gotcha mm-hmm. that makes sense and you still bring elements of that art and that design when I first came across you, it was through Brittany Oaks of Wandering Oaks yes, Photography. I love her. And she handed me your card, and I was just struck by the design of the oh, card and you. how it just fit in your hands so nice. And Yay. that was the part that drew me in. Aww. And then, kind of going from that. there and like moving into your world, it was just a nice little stepping off point. And That's that so utilizes your art and Thank you. all of that. So. I love, yeah, I did design. Um, Again, since this was a, a startup that I started up as I was building it, mm-hmm. did my own graphic design and branding work back in the beginning. And again, it, it would have taken less time, I'm sure, to pay someone. <laughs> but when you're self-funded startup, uh, I did everything myself in the beginning and love, I mean, love even graphic design. I, I have had my whole life this problem of being interested in too many things and loving so Same. many things yeah. that in the beginning, I mean, I had all sorts of wild ideas about how could I be an interior design and marketing and branding for and graphic design and art and photography mm-hmm. and like, how can I harness all these things that I love and I'm interested in? And I finally had to clear a way to hone in on, okay, let's get really excellent at one thing and then maybe add something else. And then, so I've learned where it can be again, more efficient to outsource to people who have those strengths that can do things more quickly and but very much admire the graphic design field. Um, but that was a fun, yeah, side project for me in the beginning was crafting those. So, yeah. 
Well, I want to touch on, so you mentioned interior designer is different than decorator mm-hmm. and different from an architect. So mm-hmm. what are kind of the some of the differences between the three? So decorator is just doing the painting and the furniture. Right. Okay. And, and I'm sure there's some different translations of this depending on where you are. But typically with interior design, that implies that you have been to a four-year degree interior design school that you're actually have graduated with a degree in interior design, whereas decorating, there's no prerequisites with, you know, you could just feel inspired to be a decorator, you could just be gifted as that and want to pursue that, and, you know, I know tons of people are successful in that, but it typically does work more with the furnishings itself, not so much the structure, so you might be changing, you know, the interior finishes, or you might be just redecorating with new furnishings or new Mm -hmm. fabrics, um, new artwork, things like that, but you may not be knocking out walls and constructing a whole home and um, going into as much of that technical aspect. With architects, you're going way into the technical aspects and there's other certifications you have to have, obviously, in architect school and uh, everything that they go through that they are licensed to do that. And uh, there's such, I think, an engineering aspect to what they do of understanding even more about codes and load-bearing walls and all, you know, these things that I have a limited understanding more from working with them and what was required to learn in interior design um, school regarding that, but just enough that our jobs can overlap, but that's still not my sole responsibility. Like even when I draft floor plans, there always has to be a disclaimer note that this is for concept and planning only, that the builder or architect would need to verify with their own field measurements, like that still technically falls on them, but we work together, you know, but it may be my design and that's how I'm communicating it, but mm-hmm. then they would have to field measure and make sure, cross-reference, that everything is going to work out from a structural standpoint. So that's kind of the difference. There's also some states require interior designers to be licensed through the test for that is NCIDQ, national qualification for interior design and not every state requires that you are I mean really you could practice design anywhere with or without that but to call yourself a registered interior designer to actually use that term you know after your name or in your firm you would then need to be registered in that state under that board certification Um, Arkansas is not one of those states right now if it ever became one sure I would take the test Mm -hmm. but as of now it's been enough for me and for my clients to have just the degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have also, from what I've studied of that and learned in school, because they educate both on residential and commercial, but I see if I were doing primarily commercial, I would go ahead and take it just for my own mm-hmm. knowledge base because there is so much um, more that you're working with when it's you know occupancy levels in public buildings and just a whole other realm of things that I don't have to deal with on a daily basis when it's primarily residential design that um, until there was a need for that or requirement for that, I just had not justified the expense and the time it takes to prepare for that exam. But, you know, maybe someday down the road. But yeah, yeah. that's that's great Mm -hmm. background. Yeah. And I didn't know any of that. So yeah, but you can practice interior design in any state. Mm -hmm. But if you want to claim registered interior designer, obviously, Mm -hmm. unless you are a registered interior designer in that state, if that's required. So that's kind of the difference there. Perfect. So So you went to the University of Central Arkansas, Mm -hmm. you get your degree, Mm -hmm. and then what happens? Uh, So part of the degree program, you have to do an internship your senior year, which is the best thing ever. I think in the beginning, everyone gets a little intimidated and thinks, oh my goodness, you know, uh, it's just a lot when you already have your senior projects and everything going on to add one more thing. But that is where I learned the bulk of what still serves me so well today. I was set up with, let's see, my advisor reached out a lot of the girls actually I remember in my class wanted to go more commercial and there were more commercial opportunities because they're typically larger firms so when I decided I wanted to go residential I remember her you know exploring a few different options and she thought of this one firm and set up an interview for me it was so sweet and ended up being with uh, Toby Fairley Interior Design in Little Rock and interviewed there and got hired as an intern uh, my senior year and that ended up being you know, just laying the groundwork, that foundation of what it's like in the real world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> such valuable lessons learned there, such valuable field experience that I really, really appreciate that opportunity still to this day. It was challenging and I learned things that I carry into what I do and then I learned things I didn't want to do it that way if I had my own company. And so it was just, yeah, such an amazing experience really just because that's when I was opened up to the whole world of interior design 
in that realistic way, you get to plug in what you learn in the classroom with how it is in the real world and um, just such great exposure to everything from, I mean, the world of just the vendors you work with and um, how to manage projects and clients. And even just from the aesthetic standpoint, I feel like there's a gap in a lot of the school programs where there's not so much of a focus on the artistic side of it of here's why certain colors work together. Here's why certain fabrics or patterns are more aesthetically pleasing together or how you can layer this or that. There's because that is such the art part that I guess they assume everyone's going to put their own flair on that. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't hit on as much in school. But as it turns out, that does take a lot of training of just training your eye and becoming more aware and educated about why things work sometimes better combinations than others. And so I learned all of that really in my time there. And uh, when I graduated, uh, I was there about a year and then graduated. And about a month later, they called me back and offered me an entry-level position to come on as a junior designer, which again, was so grateful for. I was so happy to, to be back and continue learning from them. Toby had been around for a long time. I think about 12 to 15 years at that point, but had just really, I think in the wake of, <laughs> again, social media and then online presence, she had really, um, was a very smart business lady when it came to harnessing the power of that and had an award-winning design blog. And I got to help write for the blog and all sorts of facets within that business. So she really had done very well at that point, And I would say even was just exploding more as far as her national presence and publications and all of that. So it was really neat to get to get a front row seat to watching a successful designer kind of as she was really, you know, had just this exploding presence at the time. And so, yeah, I took that position and was there about a year and a half um, before I just got to a point where I felt like I had, not that you ever learn all you can, but where I had learned all that I wanted to for that time in that place and needed a change and um, wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do when I left there. I just knew it was a good closing chapter and uh, was bittersweet. I still, you know, had friends there and had, had some great memories. It was just one of those time for a season change. So made a decision to leave that firm and was kind of on pause. Of, I think in my mind at the time, didn't think I would have my own company still. I think I was still very fearful and especially having just worked for someone that was so successful thinking, well, I sure don't have that, you know, I don't have what it takes because I'm not to that level yet. But what I learned through the years is, you know, I was working for a designer who had been around for 15 years. And so had I worked for her within her first year or two, I'm sure things would have looked a lot different. And so um had to kind of ease some of my, my own fears in that way of learning, you know, no one has it all figured out starting out and to not be discouraged by that. And it was actually a family friend who had approached me in the beginning while I was kind of in this in-between time and had a side project of helping my mom flip a house mm-hmm. <laughs> in the meantime, which was a really fun family project that, again, we roped my dad into with his construction <laughs> skills. It was really fun. But pretty much, I mean, if I was being honest, my plan at the time was not to start a company. It was more to just take a break. Mm-hmm. I needed a full-time job, but I didn't want to make that decision, you know, without thinking that through uh I had thought about going to another firm and uh, just kind of wanted, again, a change, I think, from even the dynamics of working at a small firm and thought a larger firm might even be more (laughs) overwhelming, which, again, with residential, with what I did, I would have really probably had to have gone on to an architect firm and been a part of a design department there. And it just, again, wasn't my passion. I really liked helping people on that individual level. So this old family friend had come up to me and had said, oh, you know, I know that you, you know, recently worked for Toby's and I've, you know think that you would be more than capable of helping with my kitchen remodel. I would like to pay you to design my kitchen remodel. And I just thought, what? No, not me. Do you realize how green and new and young I am? No, you don't want me. And she talked me into it. Yes, I do. No, I really think you can do it. And so I made a really good deal, very low rate, because I still was thinking, this is a horrible mistake. I've never done a project on my own. I've always had senior designers or someone over me. And just, yeah, didn't have a lot of faith in myself, which is really sad looking back. I wish I had been more confident. And uh, not believe so many fears and was really, really grateful that she had approached me about that and believed in me. And that was my first solo project on my own freelancing, really, at her prompting. And it ended up turning out great. And they loved it. And a local magazine at home in Arkansas actually ended up picking it up about a year later. Um, And during that time, I had, from word of mouth referrals, really picked up some other clients. And I think once you do one project on your own, you it 
gives you more confidence, you know, mm-hmm. if that goes well, you can go, oh, look, I can do this. And you yeah. surprise yourself with yeah. what you're capable of. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times we don't know the knowledge that we have, mm-hmm. um, even in that couple years between my senior year and my uh, time working at the firm after of all that I had acquired, even at that point, that I was able to carry into that and do more than I thought that I could. Mm-hmm. And so that proves something to myself in a way of, oh, maybe, maybe I could do this as a, as a, you know, as a full-time thing. And I think I just had some limiting beliefs of, that if you're going to be in the creative industry, you have to be a starving artist and there's no way to make real income with that. And that what do you do if a client doesn't call? What if you go through a drought? What do you, you know, and I, you know, my husband and I got married young and we both were still paying off student loans. Like I needed to work full time and bring home half the income. Like, and I had just thought to myself, if I try this and it doesn't work, what's my backup plan? I need to go somewhere where I can get a discount of something I love and buy anyway. <laughs> my thoughts had been Starbucks because of coffee mm-hmm. and uh, or anthropology because I love mm-hmm. <laughs> all their stuff. I'm like, that's what I'll do. I'll just go work from there until I figure out what I'm going to do if this doesn't work. But once I had a few clients, I thought, oh my goodness, this might actually be going somewhere. I should make this official. And just from a legal standpoint, thought I need to get my LLC and my own business account. And so mm-hmm. kind of one step at a time, researched that and got my business license and kind of took those steps. Um, there never was a day I could, I could look back and say, oh, I'm going to start a business. You know, it didn't happen like that. It was just this one thing leads to another. And I guess it's time to do this and just little mm-hmm. stepping stones, which was way less overwhelming yeah. for me. Uh, so it ended up working out really beautifully. Uh, looking back, I just couldn't really see where it was going at the time, but was so grateful. Yeah. Once I had, you know, kind of a client base going and was working on my website and branding and the whole business side of things and the structure. And then about that year later, got the local coverage in that magazine that again, piqued more interest and mm-hmm. had um, some people contact me from there. And I got to participate in the Arkansas Symphony Designer Showhouse, which they do every two years. And um, someone had thought of me and knew I was getting started and said, they might have a room that might be a really great opportunity for you. And I got in kind of just in the nick of time. They had a, a small bathroom left. That was, I think, within my first year. It was pretty early on. Um, yes, because that's what prompted me to get business insurance because they required it for you to participate. I was like, okay, I guess it's time to get business insurance, whatever that is. So I uh, ventured down that road to research all that. And so that ended up being a really fun project because I was the client. So I could see you know, what I was capable of within, mm-hmm. again, a limited budget. You have to self-fund that space. It's for charity. So mm-hmm. designers each get assigned a room, sponsor that room themselves, and then people, all the proceeds from tickets for people to come tour the home or purchase mm-hmm. things in the home, mm-hmm. go to the Arkansas Symphony Orchestra, their education program. So mm-hmm. really neat project. So that was a really fun space that helped also get my portfolio work started so that I actually had something to put on my website. You have this new website and you have no portfolio work. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of one project at a time. And you build on that next stepping stone. So yeah, it kind of just picked up from there and uh, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop and just figured, surely this wouldn't work out, you know, but I think I just have learned so much about faith through that of just, yeah, for one, I feel like of God being in control and ending up where you need to be, no matter what routes you take to get there, um, that if it's meant to be, it will be, that it will work out. So yeah, just having faith and taking those steps, no matter how small or fearful they might be, you're still going forward. You're still heading toward that direction of um, where you want to be. And so then it was still a process before I fully understood, you know, okay, I'm an entrepreneur. I've started this business and I would like to start there are other facets within that or branching into the production side of things and just kind of how it can grow from there before I realized the whole world that I had gotten into and fell in love with of just being a creative small business owner. And all of the the community that's there now, I think, especially online through even social media channels or Facebook groups you can be a part of or local networking groups. And I have loved being an extrovert, just like once you finally stepped, it felt like past this veil of feeling so alone and all on your own, the only person figuring this out on your own. And then realizing there's this whole other world of artists and creatives and business owners doing the same thing and, you know, always trying to grow and learn and be more established and willing to help each other and share ideas. And it was just, yeah, so encouraging. And I think helped you, me solidify, okay, you know, this, wow, I, maybe I can do this. Other people can do this. Maybe I can do this. So, um, but yeah, I'm coming up on my sixth year in February of being in business and finally, um, feel like I've stopped waiting for the other shoe to drop. (laughs) This has been really, yeah, more than I ever could have imagined. So was that the biggest challenge for you was just having that fear and I think it was and I don't even know where all that stemmed from other than just 
there wasn't, I wasn't in any sort of network support group accountability. There wasn't anyone that had gone before me that I could follow that was in my situation of, you know, having to be self-funded, not wanting to take out a business loan. I mean, just even looking at financially, I had saved up, you know, a little cash envelope that was my business account of (laughs) a little over a thousand dollars. That is pretty much what I opened my business account with. And, uh, just kind of having to experiment on my own and just figure it out and go, I guess this works. I guess there's no rules on how you have to do things. I think I just had in my mind that a business had to be this well thought out plan with a business plan and backing and investors and, you know, all this very official structure just from the get go that I felt insufficient of just it happening organically of knowing, well, I need to make an income. This is what I'm trained in. This is what I love. I hope I can make an income doing this. But I don't know why there was such a gap of not knowing how to set that up in in school. I think there may there are more business programs now overlapping with the interior design programs um, because there have been so many people successful with it. But there wasn't in-depth education in that regard that there was any sort of blueprint for how to do that, how to get from point A to point B of getting right out of school and then having your own firm. Everyone just went to work for other firms. Mm-hmm. I hadn't gotten to the part of, well, what if they want to leave and do their own thing? How does that, how does that start? So yeah, I think just a lot of fear and just, just of the unknown really. And it's been very exciting to see that all of that kind of dismissed as myths that there are no rules and people get to the same place a lot of different ways. And you, um, you can be creative of how, how you start a business and it, there's no time frame of how slow or fast I knew I needed to bring in you know, a full-time income, like I had a time frame of, okay, this needs to work within this amount of time, but you can, yeah, make it up as you go in a sense, if you're just taking the right steps, um, they look a little different for everyone. So, yes. And just being confident that the steps you're taking because they're your own, you're getting somewhere. Mm -hmm. I think as, as human beings, we find this, this, uh, security Mm -hmm. and safety in following Mm -hmm. the steps of somebody else. Right. Well, that's, that's how we get through the blizzard, right? Right. Right. But you find you take the steps on your own and you get through it just Mm -hmm. okay. You learn some hard lessons maybe. Right. It's true. But I I think there's a lot of fear of learning those lessons instead of embracing them and being like, okay, I'm going to learn my lesson here. Right. And then I'm going to move on from it and maybe I do it again, but I probably won't. Right. No, it's true. That's how you learn and that's Mm -hmm. how you grow. So, um, I've just been really excited about, yeah, where it's, what it's grown into and so so grateful for all my clients yeah that have trusted me it's it's funny it took a while again for me to believe in myself when I had people actually writing me checks for my ideas and for my creative work thinking are are you sure that are you is this I mean I I understand if you have questions because I do so just watching it turn into a thriving business that yeah um Everyone who has believed in me has helped me believe in myself more. So that has been humbling too. Oh my goodness. To get such positive feedback mm-hmm. from, you know, the community and of clients and to actually get to see your work, I think, to finished photographed on your website in a portfolio or in print, like in that article, it does just add validity to yourself that I feel like really helped me go, Oh, okay. This, okay. Wow. I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, I don't know. It's one of those you had to almost see it to believe it, to believe that you were good enough or believed that it was real. It felt almost too good to be true to get to do what you love for a living and then hear it was happening. And I think I was the last person to know. <laughs> it's really, really funny looking back actually. But people uh, can't always see what's going on inside. Yeah. Know, when you, when you have those fears. So true. It's so true. I think I got in my own way a lot and probably could have grown faster if I had been able to be a better cheerleader for myself mm-hmm. even and go, no, this is what I've trained for and I'm fully capable of doing this. And if I don't know, I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. I would always just plow through and figure it out. But I think I did just kind of let some of that stop me in my tracks or move more slowly in the beginning of just kind of getting oriented to everything. So mm-hmm. it's been so much fun and so rewarding and uh, so wonderful to get to use your gifts and things that you've trained for to get to help and serve others and Uh, support your family through that like it just feels like such a win-win thing I mean there's so much hard work and grunt work that goes into it behind the scenes that I feel like you know is with every business most likely but it's it's nothing like the HGTV shows I will say that it's not it's never as fast nor do we wear heels for as long the one time I did try to do an install in heels only because we were photographing behind the Mm -hmm. scenes and uh, taking pictures and video footage and 
I couldn't feel my toes for the next few days because that's just not how it, that's just not how. So I'm usually, you know, in bare feet and climbing on things and, you know, taping up boxes and, I mean, cleaning up my ridiculously cluttered office when I have been out of it enough because a lot of the work happens out in the field at the clients' homes that when I finally have admin days to catch up, it's just, you know, can be a lot going on. So it's funny. It's not quite as glamorous as it looks on TV, but it is still so much fun. So worth it. It never is, yes. Yes. Um, and then you had a couple of challenges starting a family. Is yeah. It, did that disrupt your, your business? That was really, son? yeah, that was funny you mentioned that because, again, looking back, you learn even how there was grace or divine timing through things that there's never a good time for. Mm-hmm. Um, a health crisis, a family crisis. But mm-hmm. that was right as I had taken off for maternity leave last October. Um, which was the whole thing I had to plan for being self-employed and taking a paid maternity leave so that I could still write myself paychecks while I was off work for three months. My husband suddenly became ill and was admitted to ICU. It started off as something flu-like, but they ended up diagnosing it as double pneumonia and a gallbladder that needed to come out, and they were caught between this rock and a hard place of needing his lungs to improve enough to be able to do the surgery but having to do the surgery before that became the bigger issue. And so as it was, his lungs were still bad enough that he couldn't come off the ventilator mm-hmm. following surgery. And so he remained in an induced coma for over two weeks the first time and then was on a treatment where they had woken him up, was still on the ventilator, but they were trying an awake treatment on the ventilator on life support. And the week he was awake was the week that our first baby was born. Oh, <laughs> So we were at least grateful at that point. You're looking for silver linings once you navigate through the shock and anger and disappointment and irony of just this was supposed to be this happiest time of our lives and being together for our first child being born. And then here you are uh, potentially about to lose your husband because of that complication. It had turned into respiratory failure, ARDS syndrome, ARDS, and uh, that has really high mortality rates. And they were trying to, you know, dance around telling us that we needed to likely prepare ourselves. They weren't sure how it was going to go and that there was a good chance we wouldn't make it. And hearing all these things as you're about to bring your first child into the world and thinking, how did it go? How did it spiral this quickly? Um, Really terrifying. But so many beautiful lessons came out of that. And thank God, you know, he made a full recovery. And uh, it got really scary again right after Liam was born. The next day, actually, he had a setback that his oxygen levels plummeted again, and any progress he had made, he just went all the way backwards, and they had to resedate him for his safety. And uh, he was in an induced coma for another two and a half weeks. We ended up having to transfer um, hospitals to get him to a different doctor and a different treatment plan. That is ultimately where things started turning around, and he was... Um, able to come home by December 1st of last year but yeah I would never it was just (laughs) it was the worst but also such an amazing display I think of God's grace for one thing just watching all the people that prayed for us across I mean our community and but I mean worldwide we were getting stories of people who had heard about what was going on and whole churches and prayer chains and people praying and reaching out and encouraging us and helping take care of me and the baby and I had ladies staying with me around the clock. I ended up having to have a C-section after 32-hour labor, oh, so I was in recovering from surgery yeah. and couldn't do as much. Had my best friend, Julie, had lined up the staff of women to come day shifts and night shifts, and for six weeks, people stayed with me until Will came home, and even then, we were both still recovering and yeah. relied heavily on friends and family to come by and help out with the baby during the day, and it was the most humbling thing I've ever been through, yeah. but it was so beautiful to see everyone rush in towards you and be surrounded like that and be carried through something like that the interesting thing is it pertained to my business was had it happened any other time mm-hmm. I don't know what I would have done because mm-hmm. I, would, I would not have planned and saved for that leave of absence mm-hmm. and being self-employed if you're going to take a leave of absence it's good to know about it uh, you got to prepare for that financially so that was also just such a beautiful thing looking back going as awful as it was to happen during that time not that any time's a good time but I had already planned to be off for a paid leave so to be with the baby and so I was able to actually focus on that and even after he came home was still off work for a little over a month during that time for both of us to recover that I was so grateful in the end that it fell during that time so that I didn't have I wasn't having to 
backtrack and put clients on hold and all that. I'd already had things that a really good pause mm-hmm. um, for that break and everyone was fully prepared that I was about to be gone for three months. And so in that sense, the timing was kind of perfect, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, yeah. But yeah, that did provide challenges coming back to work. It would have been challenging already, I think, coming off of maternity leave. That was a whole other experiment. I was mm-hmm. trying to research and read mom blogs and these mm-hmm. things about how do people do this when they're self-employed. And so it just provided more of a challenge, really, because Will was still recovering and with him going back to work and uh, navigating all of those changes and getting Liam in daycare. And we hadn't had time to visit daycares and get on wait lists and all these things. We kind of had to just keep moving and, again, could not have gone through all of that without the help of family that stepped in when we needed help. But we made it somehow. It was an interesting transition. I went back about mid-January, and that first initial, it felt kind of new again, of almost that intimidating feeling of starting your business over, mm. even though I'd been around five years at that point, but reaching back out to clients that you haven't talked to in three months, uh, mm. or, or you know, the new clients that were interested that you had said, yeah, we'll touch base after the first year of, you know, doing those interviews and consultations again and kind of getting the ball rolling again because then there's still usually a couple months before you have a billable month by the time you're scheduling and doing the, you know, initial work to get all those projects resumed. So I was really hoping that things would go as I had planned to have just enough of a runway so that by the next billable month, what I had set aside for maternity leave and, and I did, it covered all that we needed. It was it's always just enough. That's the other thing I've learned with, with faith and fears of having your own business is anytime I want to panic and go, it's not going to be enough, or what if it's not enough, or what if an unexpected expense comes up? And it's always been enough. I've never had an empty business bank account. It's always been, you know, it's not the most, but it's never, it's never been empty. Like, it's always just replenishes, you know? So I've learned to just not worry and just know... Again, I think that's where my faith is going to play of just learning to trust myself less and go, you know, if it's meant to be, God knows what we need, you know, clients will come out of the woodwork from somewhere and they always do. And so that's been a huge weight to lift off of me of, you know, do your due diligence for marketing and and do what you need to do, but to not stress and strive so much. I think I go backwards when I do that because no one works as well when they're panicking. So (laughs) you kind of let that happen organically and it often takes care of itself. So definitely a challenge in learning to go back to work with a newborn and learning I'm not one of those moms that has one of those kids that you can work from home with your kid there because he is not that kind of child. (laughs) He is uh, an extrovert like both of his parents and likes constant engagement, wants you to play with him and won't just sit there and watch a show if you need 30 minutes to do emails. So he is at day school during the week um, while we both work, but then we just have the best time together nights and weekends because we're like making up for it that time during the day. So definitely have had to deal with more sleep deprivation and again feeling like you don't get as much of a break you're not off like when I used to it's hard enough as an entrepreneur when you work from home I think to shut off when you work from home you're always on you could watch a show and be working on your laptop you have to draw those boundaries and decide when am I off work when am I going to reset or when am I going to focus on family and be very intentional about that otherwise it becomes your life when you love what you do you have to be very intentional about boundaries because otherwise I was kind of always working in the beginning and sometimes in the beginning that's what you have to do, but um, I've had to be more intentional about it now with Liam. Okay, need to reset, need to actually get some sleep, need to actually focus. Um, so that's been, I mean, good for me. More, more challenging, but really good. So it's definitely added new levels of feeling, you know, discouraged or incapable this year. Of can I do this? Can I be a mom and and be a business owner and still have, have enough left in me, enough energy and uh you learn that, yeah, you just have to rise to new levels. One thing that Brittany um, Oaks, our mutual friend who introduced us, was explaining to me because she has, you know, all boys and yeah, high energy and I love, yeah, so fun. Has her playful. Yeah. <laughs> but I was asking her one time because I met her through all of that happened last fall. She has um, offered her birth photography services as a gift when she heard what was happening through a mutual friend. It was so, so kind of her. And, um, came and got to be there with us through that so that Will could, you know, someday have photos of everything that he missed, even though he was able to FaceTime a little bit during uh, the birth. Uh, doesn't remember a lot of it from everything, all the pain medication, everything. And so it was really beautiful to have that gift that we both have from her now. She is just wonderful. But she had said when I was asking her about that of having your own business and having kids, and I said, does it ever get easier? It just feels so hard. Like we're always 
you know, struggling to, to keep up. And she said, it doesn't ever get easier. You just get better. Mm. <laughs> kind of like levels of a video game. It's yeah. not that the game ever yep. changes or gets easier. It's that you finally play it enough that, oh, you unlock a new level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you level up. Yep. Yes. So yeah. anyway, yeah. I've had to keep that in mind. And it, it's been true as the years gone on. I mean, I'd say we've figured it out. Navigating is a little better and he's just delightful and so much work and so much joy so (laughs) but yeah he likes to help me when he is home if I am wrapping things up or having to catch up on things on the weekends he likes to hang out in my office and rearrange paint samples and fabric samples (laughs) all sorts of things yes so (laughs) it's really fun (laughs) train him now yes well Catherine I think that was all the questions I had um where can we find you on your website your social Um, media yes my website is katherinejlamaster.com and um it was just recently redone this spring by a actual web firm again that was one of those things that I thought oh can I build my own website and decided no I'm gonna pay professionals and outsource this and they did a beautiful job I was very excited about that so yeah and from there you can get to my Instagram is where I hang out most of the time but the handle there is kj lemaster l-e-m-a-s-t-e-r and then it's the same handle for twitter and then katherine j lemaster art and design on facebook as well but instagram is where i hang out more lots share lots of pretty photos and behind the scenes of liam and our puppies and mm-hmm. <laughs> projects yeah. and coffee yeah, and yeah. other things so Some cute little labs thank you thanks for sharing your story that's that's quite the journey yeah <laughs> coming yeah. with you yeah. it has been this has been Sustaining Craft with Elizabeth Silverstein, my guest today, Catherine Lemaster of Catherine J. Lemaster Art and Design. This podcast would not be possible without the help of some friends. A local magazine is collaborating with me on this. And local is a high-quality bi-monthly magazine looking to connect locals to their communities through the stories of local shops, food, art, and, and nonprofits. Also, this podcast would not be possible without the help of Joshua Kurtz uh, with his audio editing, artwork by Katie Rains of Katie Rains Design, and original music by Jim Chiago. Catch Jim playing around Denver, Colorado most weekends as Nomad Neighbors or on iTunes and Spotify, A 7 Second Chance. Catherine, before we sign off completely, do you have any advice for someone either looking to get into interior design or to start their own creative business? Hmm. Initially, I think if you could learn from my mistakes, um, just to not be as fearful. I think if you have an idea or you have a passion I really do believe that anything is possible that you're going to have to put in, yeah, the long hours. And there's lots of research and lots of laying groundwork, but at every turn where you feel overwhelmed and like it's too much and you don't know how and you're not sure to just keep charging forward if it's really your dream or something you're passionate about. I feel like in some ways if I could do it, anybody can because I wasn't positioned to, you know, start out. It wasn't this initial concrete plan from the beginning. But just to keep moving forward and ask for help when you need it and ask other people in the industry and do the research and educate yourself to the best of your ability through books and podcasts. And there are all sorts of, I feel like, resources available today that weren't even back when I was in school and coming out of school that I think people are just so much more willing to share than I even realized in the beginning. There is such more focus now on community over competition that people are willing to help and share and provide resources and help you out if they can. So I didn't know that I could reach out and ask. I think I'm such a do-it-yourselfer by nature, too, that some of it I probably made harder than I had to. But yeah, to just not get discouraged when you don't know all the answers because no one does. You're, you're, if, yeah, you're always learning and you're always figuring things out. And that's part of being in a creative industry, too, is that problem solver aspect of it. So I feel like especially if you're in a creative industry, you can start a business because you're creative by nature.